Good morning, and it uh, feels weird for us to not to look into Ephesians, but we are looking into uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. If you're there, would you all stand as we receive this word? Here is God's word. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, for he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, to one another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you gather here, us, all of us, to hear your wisdom and knowledge. I recognize this time it is completely wholly belonging to you. So as we humbly, obediently open our hearts, our eyes and ears of our hearts, as we seek to hear from you, Lord, once again we desire your grace and mercy so that we will cast aside all the distractions, that we will overcome all our concerns. We'll not think about what's to come in the afternoon or in the coming weeks, but we will desire wholly in your word, your will to be declared to us. And you know us and you know our circumstances. You know all things about us. And your word is eternal and it is sharper than any double-edged sword. We pray that you would pierce deep into our heart. And if it needs to be softened, Lord, may it do your will. May it reach an encouragement needed, Lord, may your word be done. We pray that you will, through your power, through your spirit, declare your message to us that would bring just to heart to act 
react, to come closer, desire and cling unto the Word, the incarnate Word, our Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, we pray that you would be the Lord of this hour. We thank you for gathering us. Thank you for your Word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, this is a open-end question. Um, this is a broad question, but I'm going to ask for the sake of topic. What is faith? What do you say faith is to you, to us? What is faith? You see, as a church, as a body of our Lord Jesus Christ, as a gathering of people in Jesus Christ, we call ourselves faith community. We use that word, faith, to describe us. We also find faith essential, critical component, ingredient in our salvation. Faith, through faith, by grace, through faith, you have been Say, you hear this word a lot, grace. Whenever we gather in the church, whenever Christian, amongst Christian, you hear this word thrown out each, I mean, being used every time. You hear the phrase, I keep the faith, walking in faith or having faith. Right? Strengthen our faith. We, we use that phrase in terms of faith. But what is it? What is it concretely? What is it that you tell yourself? It is essential. It is critical. It is important of who we are in Jesus Christ. It is important in terms of our salvation. What is faith? That's what we are going to see out of this passage. But church, first and foremost, if we could, just biblically define a few things in terms of faith. Faith is a gift from God. First and foremost, faith is a gift from God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. That means this is not from ourselves. By hearing the word, faith comes. Because being faithful, having this faith, is not by our own desire not by own works. It is not something, therefore, we can't boast about, be proud of. This is a gift. Everyone who is saved in Jesus, who has placed their hope and trust in Jesus Christ, is, has been gifted with faith. And contrary to popular belief, faith is not a one-time decision. But rather, faith is everyday decision to believe. Believe what? That God is who he says he is. And trusting God in all things. That's faith. Every day, moment by moment. Therefore, faith helps us to fight against unbelief. Our unbelief. And it helps us to do and obey what God desires us to do. That's what Hebrew 11 
that faith's chapter in the Bible talks about. Faith is the assurance of things we hope for, right? The faith is the conviction of things we do not see. We live by faith, not by sight. We don't go each and every day. Our decisions are not made by what we see, but as faith community, as faith people, person, faithful person in Jesus Christ, we do by faith. We live by faith. Hebrew 11 continued to say, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We want to please God, honor God, glorify God. Without faith, it is impossible. For he who comes, any person who comes to God must believe that he is who God is, what he has done. And you must believe in faith that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. God will reward you. Every person who seeks him, he will reward. Now, what enables that? Faith. But as we try to understand faith, in the gospel, you recognize we see two kinds of faith. What are those? There are two kinds of faith. There are little faith and then great faith. Jesus spoke of people having little faith and spoke of people who are having great faith many times all throughout the gospel. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, I marvel at your faith. Such great faith. And those passages, as you read some of those remarks by none other than our Lord Jesus Christ, you must wonder. You got to wonder what makes the one faith little and the other great? What's the difference between the two? Is having faith like having some sort of faith containers in your heart, so to speak? So that if our container, our faith container is full and it is even overflowing, then you must have great faith. And vice versa, if your faith container is just nearly empty and your faith is little, is that how we should perceive faith? But that is not biblical understanding. That's a human logic. Because faith doesn't work like that. Great faith, little faith have nothing to do with the size, nothing to do with the amount or degree of faith. Then what? The terms that we see in the Bible, great faith and little faith, describes the difficulty of the truth that are believed. I'm going to repeat that. Little faith and great faith is being used to describe the difficulty of the truth that are being believed by this person at that moment. People who have great faith believe truth and ideas that are that uh, relatively few people can understand and believe. These are the people who are persuaded. These are people who are convinced and convicted to believe some difficult, not-so-easy things as they live their lives here. That determines someone with little faith and great faith. We all know the truth in the Bible. Ideas, commands of the Bible, some 
will believe and perceive it to be true. Therefore, it comes alive in their lives. That's the difference. This is exactly why Jesus said, if you have faith as small as mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, then what happens? It will move. Because it's not about size. It's about you knowing understanding, believing, therefore, by the Lord's word, by faith, you will declare certain things to be true, to come alive. And it happens, and Jesus said, nothing will be impossible for you. Because great faith and little faith both have nothing to do with the amount or size of faith one has. But it has everything to do with how you live according to what you know and believe to be true. That determines one with little faith and the other with great faith. What we just read in chapter 7, in this passage, we find a man who just received the highest praise one can possibly receive from our Lord Jesus. What did he say? In verse 9, I tell you, turning to the crowd, I tell you, marvel, surprised, Jesus said, not even in Israel have I found such faith. That's ESV, such faith. ESV decided to translate that just simply such faith within the context. It's not just bad such example, but great example, such faith. But if you look at that, uh, other, that phrase in other translations such as NIV and NASB, literal translation would be such great faith. Such great faith the man has who says this, Jesus said, if anyone can be the judge of a person's faith who's qualified to say who has great or little, Jesus would be. And he said, he has such great faith. But who was he? Think about it. A Roman centurion, a soldier occupying the nation, oppressing the people, a Gentile, foreigner, unclean, sinner. Jesus said, this person has such great faith. Not in that region, not in Capernaum, but in all Israel. Are you serious? And if you find that, if you read that, you must wonder, how? How could a person like this, what makes this centurion's faith great to the point that he receives such high remark from our Lord Jesus? How does he have one like this? That's our aim for this morning. My hope and prayer is that we find something in this text. We can see what enabled this centurion to receive such a high praise from our Lord. I have seen such great faith. What enabled that? According to the text, first and foremost, the first thing that we recognize is this. The centurion had compassion in his heart. 
in the text, you can see his compassion is evident toward his servant. That's the first compassion that you see in verse 2. It says that centurion highly valued his servant. Now, we can assume that the master, the centurion, highly valued his servant because maybe his usefulness, maybe his effectiveness on his jobs and the, how he fulfills the responsibility, how he does things well. Maybe that is why he is being highly valued. But rather, however, the Greek word that is being translated as highly valued, entimos, suggests otherwise. Because the word not only means valuable and precious, but it also often used in the text to designate honor. Designate that respect. In other words, suggesting here what centurion feels is his respect. He is very much, the centurion esteemed his servant. And explains why the centurion was so concerned for his servant. Now, what's so unique about that? Well, it's unique in that setting. In the Greco-Roman society, this kind of behavior, this kind of relationship between master and slave, it's just unheard of. It's uncommon. Why? Because it's cheaper to replace a servant than waste doctor's time and medicine and all of those care that the person needs. It's just unheard of. It's uncommon. You don't do that. You're just sick. Servant, ineffective, not so useful, you throw them out and you get on other. That's normal behavior. That's normal practice. However, the centurion was doing everything he could to possibly save, heal his servant, including in this text, sending Jewish elders. When he heard about Jesus, that's the phrase that is going to reappear every point when he heard about Jesus, when he is exhausting all the possible options that he has, when he heard about Jesus, he's determined to save this respected, esteemed friend of his, which is unheard of. He decided to send, reach out to Jewish elders to see Jesus. It's not difficult for us to Understand, it's, I, I don't think it's an assumption here that the centurion and his dying servant have enjoyed really good friendship. It's not just a master and servant. It's, they're being friends. And for this to uh, be possible in this context, the master, the centurion, has to have compassion because he was compassionate. He put aside all. Authority, what norm, the norm of the society. He's not hard and rigid in his heart. He's soft and compassionate. Verses 4 and 5, his compassion is also evident through the action of the Jewish elders. Beginning in verse 3, the elders, <clears throat> when the centurion reached out to them, elders would accept. They would accept to go and see Jesus on his behalf. Maybe the elders accepted the request because just they want to be um, seen favorable to the centurion. However, not only the elders accepted 
the request here, but look at verse 4. When they came to Jesus, what did they do? They pleaded to Jesus. Earnestly, the text says. And they say, this man is worthy, deserving for you to do this. In this case, heal his servant. They did not just come to deliver the message to Jesus. They came to plead to Jesus. If there is no loving, compassionate relationship between the occupying person, the soldier of the enemy, if there is no relationship between him and the Jewish community, I don't see this happening. They could simply accept this and go and just simply relay the message. And they really don't have to really plead. And even saying that word, worthy, we're talking about foreigner. Foreign occupation, the head of that occupation. The guy who is unclean and the leaders of these rabbis and teachers and scribes are the ones that are pleading to Jesus. Even in verse 5, Elder said, He loves our nation and He has built our synagogue. What we can understand out of the text is it was more than typical political relationship between a Roman officer and the Jewish community. And it's possible because of that compassion. We see that in his heart. Through his compassion towards his servant and the action of the elders, because of that compassionate relationship they both have, he is compassionate. When Jesus was done teaching the large multitude, it was late. The crowd was hungry and tired. And the text would say, he has compassion for them. Jesus felt compassion for the crowd. What did he do? Turn to the disciples. Let us feed them. And the disciples' reaction was completely different from Jesus. We don't have money. We don't have time. There is nowhere close to get the bread or things that we can feed them. That's heart without compassion. The heart with compassion. Find anything. Find, go look what you have. And that compassion really came out in the main ingredient for that miracle to take place. Compassion. Church, how compassionate are we to the people around us? We should be compassionate people. How do we show our compassion to the people around us, to your own family members, to your friends, to your coworker? How compassionate are we? If we just be, were being compassionate to the people who, are, who, who love us, who care for us, who is kind to us, Jesus would simply say, what good that is. What credit would you receive if you love those who love you? Even sinners love those who love them. The centurion loved the people that he was overseeing. The centurion had compassion towards people regardless of their class, regardless of their race. 
And Jesus saw great faith in the men. And it started with his compassion. Now, second thing, according to the text, not only compassion, secondly, the centurion also had humility in his heart. You find humility. He was a humble, humble man. We can see this in two of his actions. First action is this. The centurion sent the elders to ask Jesus to come. He asked elders to go and ask Jesus to come. Now, what's so humble about this? He's still making Jesus to come. But think of it this way. As a centurion, Roman centurion, with authority given by the emperor, he could simply order this Jesus, this person Jesus, to come to his place by sending one of his soldier or a servant. Is that a far-fetched idea here? He could simply, as a Roman centurion, that's a big deal, by the way, to send a soldier or a servant to bring Jesus to his home. But what does he do instead? He asks. He sent for Jewish leaders of Capernaum to ask. And this is how much he respected Jesus. Think about it. When That's the phrase. I'm, I told you I'm going to repeat that. When he heard about Jesus, who he is, what people were saying about him, what he has done, those miracles, those teachings. When he heard about him, he did not treat Jesus in the way that he has all the authority and right to do so. Because he had a humble heart. Secondly, the centurion pleaded with Jesus and confessed his unworthiness. In verse 6, through his friends, beginning from the middle of the verse 6, centurion said, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I do not consider myself worthy to come to you. Remember earlier, Jewish leaders pleading to Jesus, he is worthy for you to do this. But he himself says to Jesus, what? Through his friends, I am unworthy for you to come. This is a strange thing to say as a man appointed by the emperor. Because he did not consider himself worthy enough to stand in front of Jesus. Who is Jesus, by the way? Young Jewish men? Young Jewish carpenter at the most? But to the centurion, Jesus was more than just a young Jewish man because he heard. He has heard who Jesus is and what he has done. And therefore, we'll get to the last point, because he believed. But, but in his Humility, what did he do? He did not seek to be equal or greater than Jesus, was he? The centurion demonstrated as he humbled himself his humility by sending the elders to ask Jesus. He already understands Jewish custom. He knows he is a foreigner. He knows he's a soldier. And he wants to show his respect and honor to Jesus because he is in need of Jesus' help. So he humbles himself. And he even says, I am not worthy for you to come to my unclean, unholy place. I recognize that. 
Does he remind anyone? Reminds of Jesus. Especially Philippians 2, when Paul talks about the attitude, the mind of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. The humility, the attitude, the mind of Jesus Christ is evident in this person, in the centurion's heart. And I believe this is the second reason why Jesus praised him so highly. I found such, now I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Because he was not only compassionate, but he was humble. Folks, whoever you are, whatever you have accomplished in your life, wherever you may be in your life, folks, we, we all have something to be proud of. We do. We have things that we can boast. And we have reasons to think and say, I'm pretty good. Sometimes just to make us feel secure and feel better, we compare ourselves to one another and you feel good as you no one say it out loud, but you think to yourself inside, internally, and say, I think I'm better than that. But that's not hard, not a heart with humility. We have to know where the real authority is. We have to recognize our unworthiness. God redeemed us, sinners. Wretched sinners like us destined to receive eternal damnation and gave us privilege to know him, in, intimately call him father, serve him. And there is nothing in us if you understand grace, if we truly understand gospel. It humbles us. There's, we recognize there is nothing in us that we can boast about, proud of. Because at the end of the day, you understand grace. When you understand gospel, what it has done in your life, you find only grace. There's only grace. Therefore, when we are humble, when we are weak, we'll be strong. And that is when He will lift us up. Amen? Now, we know up to this point the centurion had compassion and humility in his heart. The last thing we will recognize in the text would be his faith. He had faith in his heart. He believed. Now, what did he believe? He simply believed. When he heard about Jesus, he believed. He believed that this Jesus figure, he hadn't seen him in person. He believed that Jesus could heal his servant. In his power, he exhausted all the possibility, all the options, but he could not heal his dear, beloved friend. But when he heard about Jesus, he believed that he could. Jesus can heal his servant. And this is the most important thing. 
out of three, this is the most important thing. Because compassion and humility, although great it is in Christian life, in the hearts and mind of Christians, we must have compassion and humility. Although they are great, it means nothing if we don't believe. It means nothing if we don't have faith. Because worldly people, people without Jesus Christ, can be compassionate to one another. You can be humble, not so proud of your things and your accomplishments. People outside of faith can also demonstrate that. What makes it significantly different is not the first two items, but the last one that we see here, faith, the way he believes. In verse 3, the very moment when the centurion decided to send some elders to ask Jesus to come and heal his servant, that very moment, the centurion in his heart had faith. When he called the elders, he already knows, he believes that Jesus would heal his servant. In other words, his faith preceded his action, right? His faith preceded his action. In other words, as you can see, his action was resulted from his faith. Sometimes, we don't work like that. We have faith. The difference, as I said in the beginning, the difference of faith being great and little has nothing to do with the size or amount. It has everything to do with what you believe to be true and your action. Sometimes we try everything we can before we come to Jesus. When we try everything and we fail and nothing works, that's when we come on our knees and begging, pleading. Sometimes our action goes before our faith. Our action precedes our faith. But in this case, for this centurion, he didn't. When he heard about Jesus in that circumstance, when his servant was sick and there is nothing at his disposal be, uh, be able to change that circumstance, he, when he heard about Jesus, he believed. He believed from the beginning. Now, it gets more interesting because the centurion not only believed that Jesus could heal his servant, but he also believed here Jesus could heal his dear servant, dear friend, from anywhere. The word that we in pandemic era would use is what? Remotely. Remotely. God, Jesus, Lord, you can heal my servant remotely. Not in person, but in remotely. I mean, think about this. This is remarkable confession of faith. Really, verse 7 and following, this is his word, through his friend. Say the word, centurion said, Lord, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Where, where do you get that idea? How do you know? It's never been done. You never experienced that. No one around you experienced that. How do you know? 
He just simply says, say the word, Lord, my servant will be healed. And his reasoning is amazing. I myself and am under authority with soldiers under me. I tell that one to go, that one goes, this one to come, he comes. I say to my servant to do this, he does it. What does he mean? By confessing what he just did in his faith to Jesus, if you just say the word, and my servant will be healed because you have all the authority. From what I can gather, from what I can hear about you and all the wonderful, miraculous things that you have done, you are over all things. You have the authority to heal and defeat all the sicknesses that exist in this world. So you don't even have to come. It does not matter where you are. You just say the word. You can remotely heal my servant. Where do you get this idea? The audacity. The faith. Where do you get this? It's like a child. Like You hear it and you just take it at its face value and you believe and you perceive. That's what's been done. It's not us. It's, he does not make it any more complicated. We do that to ourselves. We try to make sense. We come up with some other reasons that this doesn't work. This is old. This will not come true. I can't go by this book. We hold ourselves back. And we wonder our faith, why it's not powerful and effective. While we go through ups and downs all the time. It's not how much you know. It's not how much you study. He says, as a man with authority, the centurion realized that his authority over his soldiers and servants is identical. It's just exactly identical to the authority Jesus had over all things, particularly the sickness. How did he know? Faith, of course. Faith. Do you have faith? Good, Jesus said. Even demons believe. Demons believe who I am, what I am capable of. You believe that? What demons do? What's the difference between demons and you, people of faith? You believe, then you act according to what you perceive. How you were persuaded and convinced in his heart to be true, absolute truth, you live by that. That's the difference. Isn't this great faith? He heard about Jesus and he believed and perceived. Therefore, a centurion received, in my opinion, one of the highest compliments one can possibly receive from the Lord. I have not found. He was marveled, surprised. I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Are you serious? Even in all Israel.
The thing that makes his faith even more remarkable is the fact that he was a Gentile. Foreigner. A man without no proper education. He was not born and raised in church. He didn't go through Sunday school. He didn't read Bible cover to cover. He didn't go mission trips after mission trips. He doesn't have titles in the church. Think about it. What makes him qualified to receive such great compliment from our Lord Jesus? If you think that I was not brought up in Christian homes, I have not seen great examples in my life. I don't know much. That's not an excuse that will stand in this case. It's just amazing to see such great faith from a person who has no prior extensive teaching about God at all. It tells you exactly what we need to know and understand about faith. It's not about what you feel in your head, how much you, how big of a head you have, how much of a story you retain, how much of these daily experience, the grace you understand with your head, but if you do not act and live according to your faith. What good does that do? It's not how much you know about God. It's not how much you know about the Bible. It's not. I'm convicted by the fact that, that in my heart, own heart, that I'm, as I say that statement, I, I am the most affected by this. I may know with the theological understanding to two graduate degrees that I have, it has nothing to do with what I trained and know. It has nothing to do with how much time I put in, how much studying I do. The faith is not something we know. It's not something we study. Faith is believing. Faith is trusting. Faith is walking each and every step like you will never lose. The Lord is by myself. I shall not be in want. He will protect me, guide me, lead me to green pasture and quiet water. So you act. You bet. You go all in on Jesus. You bet everything in your possession. You go all in, bet everything you possibly have, and without a doubt, shred of doubt, that you will, you will lose. I don't know about you. I need a faith like this. I, I need faith like this. It's not something you pray, 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 Lord, give me this faith. Fill me with your spirit and give me this faith. That's, that is not a theologically, biblically sound prayer. You have faith. That faith allowed you to profess that Jesus is Christ. You have faith and you received it as a gift. Exercise your faith. It's not about how much you know, how much you fill your time daily about the that doesn't mean that as a pastor, I am, you know, encouraging you to not to have that quiet time or read or things of that nature. Gather with your faith community. What I'm telling you is, if you know something to be true, 
and you tr- you understand that is trustworthy, then live it out. Bet everything you got like you will never lose. That is faith. It's exciting to see faith operating in this manner. It's powerful. And it's exciting if you imagine one day as a believer, the glorious moment of your walk with Jesus would be you will come face to face with him. And imagine his own words to you. I have not seen such great faith in all heaven. Welcome. Join in. I've been waiting. What do you desire in life? As you have this eternal perspective, you all bank in in this world. And just faith, Christian walk, Christian life, you wear that label as a Christian. It's just some sort of a badge or it's just an insurance policy for all eternity. What does that do? You have faith? Good. What does that do? Do you believe? Anyone can believe. But what does that do? That determines one. To hear from Lord, Oh, you of little faith. The other. At marvel and lovingly, I have not seen faith such as this. When you wonder as you read the Bible, it has to be about you. It's not about person who you are living with, some of your friends and family members. It's not about you. It's about, not about anyone else. It's about you, how you walk with the Lord. Exercise your faith. Exercise your faith. Live by faith, not by sight. Every moment and every decision, choose God. Amen? Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. Through your word, through your declaration, the revelation that you graciously given to us, We came to know about you. We came to know about your great plan to save us, to spare us from eternal wrath of God that will eternally place us in the place of our enemy. But in your grace, Lord, you saved us. In your grace, you have brought forgiveness cover us with your righteousness and when we were sinners you loved us you shower your grace upon grace each and every day and therefore we are where we are we understand the biblical truth about salvation who we are in Jesus Christ and we went through that in the study of Ephesians we know this and what we need to do and how we need to conduct ourselves but what may differentiate a person with faith with great faith and little 
It's not about what we know, what we can reproduce in our words and in our uh, in our writings, in our posts on social media. It's not about those things that we just externally demonstrate and has no bearing in our daily decision, in our how we carry ourselves. Because that, quite honestly, Lord, you told us, it's not faith. So I pray that we will believe, that we will trust in your word, and we will live by your word with conviction, with assurance, with hope that this word is true. This true word declare how we are in Jesus Christ and eternally we are secure. And therefore, that has not only bearing in our uh, final destination, but it has all the more say in how we live our lives right here, right now. And we see that in the centurion's heart. Because he heard who Jesus was and what he has done. He believed. And he proceeded with faith. And he believed. Even the Lord himself was surprised, marveled. And that is faith we desire. That is how we want to walk in our faith life. I pray that we will learn to trust you. Learn to believe in the ways that you have shown to us. And with faith may we walk. Not with our eyes. Not to please our own selves. Not to do things and accomplish things so that we can be petted on our shoulder. But to please you. But without, your, without the faith, we can't even come to know you and please you. So, we pray all the more as we humble ourselves and being compassionate to one another. By faith, we be, may we be motivated to live each and every day according to what we know to be true, understand to be true, believe to be true. Bless us, Lord. And may we live a life hoping and praying one day in the presence of our Lord and Savior will hear the exact word that the centurion received. I have not found such grace. Thank you for your message. Thank you that you spoke to us. Pray that you would go with us. Go before us. Help us to live a life that brings glory and honor to you. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.